If you're just joining us this morning, we continue today in a sermon series we've been preaching through uh, really on the Holy Spirit. It's entitled, In, In the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you're like me, but as a Presbyterian, uh, I have not been as familiar with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work as some other church traditions. Uh, You've seen the Presbyterian stick figure, right? This is how I and us, we can often be seen. Uh, Big head, you know, lots of good thoughts and uh, the exercise of the mind in our theology. That is, after all, our gift to the wider body of Christ. But then, you know, the action and the, uh, the mystery and the wonder, sometimes we're not as developed in that. So I don't know about you, but I appreciate a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. I need it, and I'm thankful for it. I'm ready to grow in it. Uh, so uh, welcome to all of you to today and its sermon. We have been beginning our sermon series, uh, or the sermons, with the lighting of a candle. And this really is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit came that first time on the day of Pentecost down like tongues of flame and lit on the uh, heads of the disciples. The Holy Spirit also is the one who illumines God's word to us, gives us the aha when the whole uh, scripture becomes apparent and real and life transforming. That is the ministry of the illuminating Holy Spirit. So with all of these things in mind, let me invite you to pray with me. Lord, we bow before your mystery, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray that in particular you, Holy Spirit, would guide our time together, that you would not only teach us ideas about you, but you might actually move in power among us, not only in this sermon, but in the service and in the week ahead. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, today we're looking at a text from Paul's letter, first letter to the Corinthian church, and I want to say a few words about the church at Corinth. So I'll begin with a map. Um, There you can see Corinth right in the middle. The ancient city of Corinth in ancient Greece was located on that isthmus, that tiny strip about four miles wide of land that linked the northern part of Greece to the southern part. And it was a trade route that went right through the city from north to south and then the ships passed from east to west and ferried uh, their goods across the isthmus. What this did is it made Corinth extremely wealthy. It's one of the richest cities of the ancient world. So it was an affluent city. But not only that, the city of Corinth was also known for its immorality. It was an immoral city. You see, Corinth housed the great temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And there in that temple, there were apparently a thousand prostitutes who served at the temple. And then when they were done with their service, they would descend into the streets at night and ply their trade. So Corinth was not only rich, it was also immoral. In fact, the very word Corinthian became a term in our English language for somebody who was debauched and drunken. That was a Corinthian. I've sometimes thought of Corinth as a cross between New York City, San Francisco, and Las Vegas. (laughs) Paul planted the church there, and the church was full of problems. There were divisions within their fellowship, many of them centered on debates about wisdom, What was the true nature of wisdom? Who had it and who didn't? There was incest. A man proudly lived with his father's wife. There were lawsuits within the church. There were abuses of the Lord's Supper. There was an overemphasis and a misuse of spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues. And in that church, there was a strong sense of spiritual elitism. Some were spiritually elite and others were told they were not. And Paul writes this letter to correct many of these problems. 
The Corinthians thought they were wise and very spiritual, and Paul had to redirect the meaning of these terms to them. Let's begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 at verse 1. There Paul writes, and so uh, he begins with these words, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught, by, uh, taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know about you, but that is a lot of text, right? That's a lot of text. And I think the best way to approach it this morning is to divide it into three constituent parts and see if we might find some takeaways from each of these three parts. And so I think the first takeaway would be this point. The power of preaching is a paradox. The power of preaching is a paradox. You know, we preachers are under a great deal of pressure these days. We have got to hold our congregation's attention in a time when the attention spans of most Americans is getting very, very short. We have got to be profound, but also personal. We have got to be biblical, but also tech-savvy. Is it any wonder that so many of our sermons fail? You know, there's a section on YouTube, I wasn't aware of this until recently, a section on YouTube, on the internet, all about sermon fails. And I couldn't resist sharing one with you. Let's take a look at it. 
Really? You mean? I do. Do you really mean to tell me? Are you kidding me? That my yoga is what's gonna determine whether or not? Oh, careful, careful, careful! Oh, guys, push me back up. Push me. Push me. Get the camera off of me. Push. Sorry. Push. Okay, Jesus. Lord Jesus. Sorry. Oh God. Sorry. Over the floor. Okay, over the floor. All right, let's help me back. Oh, Jesus. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. All right. So, all right. Sorry. All right. So, I have some improvement to do on my yoga. I'll say. <laughs> he has some improvement to do on his preaching and his sermon illustration. I am so grateful to the Apostle Paul because his preaching and his example are so freeing and so uh, straightforward. They're refreshing. Uh, Paul didn't try to entertain the people at Corinth. He didn't try to compete with the traveling preachers of his day. Paul instead came in weakness and in fear and trembling, and his message was simple. He preached Jesus Christ and him crucified, and he relied on the Holy Spirit to do the rest. This is the kind of preaching, I think, that hits the mark. It's preaching that allows the Holy Spirit to work through the human preacher. You know, the Holy Spirit works in preaching sometimes because of the preacher and sometimes in spite of the preacher. Many years ago, I heard the true story of someone from the late 17th century. He was a man named Elias Keech, and here's a picture of him. Elias Keech was the son of a very famous English preacher, and Keech wanted to explore the new world, so he made his way to America. And he put himself forward as a preacher. And he went around to churches and made money preaching. There was only one catch. Elias Keech wasn't a Christian. He didn't believe what he was preaching. But he was good enough at it so that he could preach throughout that part of our nation until one day, in the midst of his sermon, he started to shake. He was trembling so violently that the people thought he had a seizure or was having a stroke. And then he blurted out these words. He confessed that he was not a Christian until that very moment. For the Holy Spirit at that moment convicted him of his sin and need, and he became a Christian in the middle of his sermon. Can you believe that? The Holy Spirit works because of and sometimes in spite of human preachers. And yet we still prepare, don't we? As human beings, we don't simply leave it to the Spirit. We do have a role to play as human beings as we prepare our sermons, as we thoughtfully prepare. There's a, a way to do that. So we must always remember that when God comes to us in the Word, as we Presbyterians believe, the Word has three forms. Let me show you this illustration. At the very center of the bullseye is the incarnate Word, Jesus Christ. He is the, the Word of God, John chapter 1, that is the final word, the conclusive word, the one who completely reveals the Father to us. The incarnate word, remember, is divine and human, a partnership, a paradox. But then moving outward, we have the written word, the Bible. The Bible, we believe, is also a divine human partnership, a paradox, God's word in human words. And then thirdly, we as Reformed Christians, Presbyterians, believe in the proclaimed word, the preaching of the word. 
And that too is a divine and human partnership, a paradox. In each of these cases, God is unashamed to come to us through the fallibility and frailty of the human vessel. This is a paradox of the Word of God, a paradox of preaching. But the real power always remains in the Holy Spirit. Here's a quote from Gordon Fee. Gordon Fee writes that the real power in preaching does not lie in the person or presentation of the preacher, but in the work of the Holy Spirit. What Paul is rejecting is not preaching, not even persuasive preaching. Rather, it is the real danger in all preaching, self-reliance. This is the paradox of preaching. We cannot rely on our human capacity. It's not enough. Not the most eloquent preacher can do that. No, we rely on the Holy Spirit at work through preaching. Now, right now, some of you are saying, well, this is fine and good for you, Carl, because you're a preacher. But what does it have to say to me? I'm a non-preacher. Well, I think it still relates. Because if you want to share your faith with someone in your social network, you want to share your faith with a, a coworker or a friend or a family member, and you hold back because you think that you're inadequate as a Christian, that you're not spiritual enough, that you don't know your Bible well enough, and you hold back, well, then you're making the same mistake that a preacher makes. You're too concerned about self-reliance. No, you need to trust the Holy Spirit. Because as weak as you are, as weak as I am, the Holy Spirit can still use us. So we need to be bold. We need to step out and trust the Holy Spirit with all our inadequacy and see the Spirit work. There's a power in preaching, but it's a paradox. That's our first takeaway. Now there's a second one, and it's this, in the second paragraph of our text. God's wisdom is higher than human wisdom. When we come to the word wisdom in the New Testament, it is this Greek word, Sophia. Now, some women's names are Sophia. Sophia means wisdom for the Greeks. And we know this word Sophia because it's in words like philosophy, people who love wisdom. Or the word Sophia is in words like sophomore, those people who think they're wise. It's also in the word sophisticated. You get my drift. Sophia is this word. And in Paul's day, there were traveling sophists. These were peddlers of wisdom. And they went all around the, the Greco-Roman world and they peddled their particular brand of wisdom. And people paid them to do that and they became their followers. And Paul contrasts him, his own message and ministry with the sophists of his day. Now, you know today there are modern sophists, aren't there? Self-help gurus who uh, tell us that they have just what it takes to get us up higher in life, to, to, to become more adequate. We have the DIY movement, do it yourself. With the right knowledge, we feel we can do it with the right kind of insight. Or think of those magazine titles we see when we check out at the supermarket, 10 Steps to a Better You five tips for this, or three hacks for that. The problem is the focus of wisdom is always on ourselves. That's the problem with the sophists. That's the problem with human wisdom. It's always focusing on us. And you know, the church can fall into this same trap when we rely too much on human-centered wisdom. 
It's not that we shouldn't ever look at that, but it shouldn't drive what we do. God's wisdom must do that instead. You know, there's a difference between human wisdom that seeks to go upward to the divine and God's wisdom, which comes down from the divine. Human wisdom is always our effort to go up through knowledge or through technique to the divine, but God's wisdom is the descent downward of Jesus Christ to be in our midst and the Holy Spirit to reveal a wisdom we could never have come up with on our own. Isaiah 55 reminds us of the height of God's wisdom when we read this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's wisdom is higher than human wisdom, and we uh, will not know this wisdom until a third point, a third takeaway today. The Holy Spirit teaches us this higher wisdom. This higher wisdom is the gift of the Holy Spirit descending in truth to us. Jesus said in John chapter 16 that when he comes, the Spirit of truth will lead you into all truth. The Spirit reveals God's wisdom. The question is how? How does the Spirit reveal the wisdom of God to us? Well, certainly through the Bible, certainly through the Holy Scriptures, we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. The Holy Spirit has uniquely worked in the human authors to bring us divine revelation in the written Word of God. But we believe more than that. Not only is Scripture inspired, but the Holy Spirit can illuminate Scripture so that we begin to understand it. Have you ever had that experience? You're reading your Bible and all of a sudden, something is clear to you. The little light bulb goes off. Aha, that's the Holy Spirit illuminating the Bible to to us. And so when we come to our Bible, we come prayerfully. We pray the prayer of Samuel, the boy in the Old Testament, when he prayed, uh, speak, O Lord, for your servant is listening. That's our prayer as we open the word. Or we say with the psalmist in Psalm 119, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your law. When we come to the word, we come not only with our minds, but also with our hearts, asking God to speak. And this is the role of the Holy Spirit, disclosing wisdom in the scripture. But the Holy Spirit's not limited to a book, the Bible. No, the Holy Spirit moves in real time, moves in real time, and the Holy Spirit can speak and nudge us today and in our lives. No doubt you've experienced that before, When the Holy Spirit nudges you, you can't explain it, but all of a sudden you were having a conversation with someone or doing a certain thing. Often this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, we have a prayer ministry here at this church, and my colleague Lindsay Wehmeyer directs that ministry. And she she and many of you, let me see, are there other prayer ministry people here today? See, a number of you are here. Thank you for your service to us. But you in the prayer ministry are trained to listen for the Holy Spirit. You're trained in community to together listen and confirm the Holy Spirit guiding you. And the rest of us, if we have interest in learning how to do this, we can take one of the prayer ministry classes that's offered at this church. A new one starts in the fall. Or, if you want to see it in action, come to the healing service in the chapel this Wednesday at 7, 
And there you can see Christians listening out for the Holy Spirit, trained and stepping out into that. The Holy Spirit can nudge us in real time if we're trained to listen for his movement. The Holy Spirit guides us in wisdom through scripture, through nudges, and also when we share our faith with other people. I'm convinced that a lot of us don't want to share our faith because it's just too burdensome and we feel inadequate and we feel too much pressure. Let me remind you, as Paul said, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The burden is not on us to convert someone, never. No, we trust that the Holy Spirit can do it. We show up in humility and weakness and the Holy Spirit can use us. The Holy Spirit guides us into wisdom as we share this wisdom with others. In the end, only the Holy Spirit can convict us and change our lives. I like what the writer, the late writer, Christian writer, J.I. Packer said about the Holy Spirit. He first of all called the Holy Spirit the shy member of the Trinity. He doesn't like to draw attention to himself. But then he said that the ministry of the Holy Spirit was like a spotlight. The Holy Spirit is a spotlight on Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus and makes Jesus real to us. And that is where the most wisdom of God is disclosed, in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul says that Jesus Christ became for us the wisdom from God, and the Holy Spirit illumines Christ to us and shows us that wisdom. Before I came to this church, I was a pastor in Oakland for 10 years. And I had a friend at that time named John. And I didn't know John at first. I was heard about him through members of that church. And uh, the story was a, a compelling one. Uh, John was a very a well-to-do and prominent attorney in the San Francisco Bay Area, well-regarded in his neighborhood and throughout that community until his life changed. One night he was arrested by the police and he was caught in a neighboring community for the crime of voyeurism. He had a secret life that nobody knew about, his wife, his kids, nobody knew. And he landed on the headlines of all the newspapers and on the TV shows, the news at night. And he was thrown into jail and then he went to a halfway house. And he was so anxious and so full of shame that he couldn't sleep. He had terrible insomnia and it was driving him literally crazy. He didn't know what to do. So he went to the director of the halfway house and shared his story and said, I just can't sleep. And the woman who directed the, uh, the ministry there, a lovely African-American lady, said this. She said, John, may I pray for you? And so she knelt at his feet and prayed over his feet and said this, Lord, I pray that these feet may never lead you again, may never lead John again into sin. And then she finished her prayer and John went back to his room. And that night when it came time to sleep, he couldn't sleep. He was filled with anxiety, filled with dread, filled with shame. But he looked down on the bed at his feet. And there was a glow over his feet. And then that glow began to move upward on his body to his chest. And he said to me that he felt this incredible warmth and peace. And then he fell right asleep. And the next morning, he went to the director and asked her, what was that all about? And she told him about Jesus Christ. She told him about new life in Christ and forgiveness in Christ. And right there and then, she prayed with him to become a Christian, and he did. And then a little while later, John came into our church. And John 
had an amazing ministry among us. He was one of my most dear friends, and he was also one of our most powerful elders. He could lead the church, he could guide in his wisdom, and he could also lead us in worship. The point is, the power of the Holy Spirit can transform a life, and it can transform his life dramatically, and it can transform yours and my life dramatically or even simply, because the Holy Spirit is real. And this is the spirit we're talking about today. Let me pray for you. Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you for your ministry among us. Teach us your ways. Lead us in your truth. Fill us with yourself and transform our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen.